There are a couple passages of scripture that are so tender to me that I can hardly bear to read them. Two, really in particular, that stand out. The first is a story in the gospels. John the Baptist is in prison and he sends some of his followers to Jesus with a question. They say, are you the Messiah or should we wait for another? It's, it's such a little verse, it's an easy story to go right past, but it's such a heartbreaker when you think about it. This is John the Baptist. John, who is raised by Elizabeth and Zachariah, who grew up on stories of a father struck mute in the temple, of a mom who so clearly remembers the day that cousin Mary came to visit with baby Jesus in her tummy. John the Baptist who ate bugs dipped in honey and wandered in the wilderness and wore clothes of camel's hair, which to me sounds sticky and itchy and smelly. And he did all of those things so that he can be the one who announces the coming Messiah. This is John the Baptist who baptized Jesus, who was there when the clouds parted and a voice from heaven came down to announce that Jesus was God's beloved son. It's that John all of that history and all of those experiences that from the desolation of a prison cell sends a buddy to Jesus to say, is it not you? Did I spend my whole life announcing a coming Messiah who has not come? Did we get this whole thing wrong? It's so sad. So that's one passage. The second, of course, is our passage from this morning, the text that Dorothy just read from us. Here we have Moses at the end of Deuteronomy, after, after everything that the Exodus has brought. Moses has floated down the river, he stood before the burning bush, he's lived through the plagues, he's led the people through the Dead Sea. For 40 years now, he's been in charge of this wandering group of complainers while food appears on the ground and water comes from rocks. It has been a journey. Buen Camino, Moses. <laughs> and often when we tell the stories of Moses, we talk about those highlights and we go past this little parenthetical incident, this moment of doubt for Moses that has these massive implications. Towards the end of the story, Moses and Aaron are leading the Israelites through the wilderness and they come again to a place where there is no water. God commands them. They follow some of the commands, not really all of them. They do part of what they're supposed to do, but then they do these other things. They take a little more credit than is theirs to take. And as it turns out, God is not playing around. And God says, because you broke faith with me, Moses, because you did not treat me as holy, you won't be the one to lead these people into the land I have promised them. The people will go, Moses, and you will not. That's where we find Moses in our text today. He's led the people to the edge of a promised land that he will never enter. He's raised them up, taken them as far as he can, and now they'll go alone. He's a, a parent of a college freshman. After the bunk bed has been made and the dorm room has been arranged and now it's time to just get in the car, go on home. One more thing, Moses says, just honey, don't, don't forget this one thing. 
He's a businessman at, at a retirement party, maybe a forced retirement party. After decades, a lifetime spent building a business, building a career, building a community. Well, he says, I'll leave you with this one last thing to think about. It's so moving. These are some of Moses' last words to these people that he's loved and led for 40 years. Now they'll go on without him. Moses says, when it comes down to it, there are two ways. There's life and there's death. There's blessings and adversity. I got a, <clears throat> a political fundraiser text this week. I'm sure you guys have been getting them. <laughs> I got it actually while I was working on this sermon and it just made my blood boil. I, I get that our system is set up, that the people have to ask for money. I don't love it, I understand it. But it was the language in this text that made me so angry. There was nothing about what the candidate stood for, what values this candidate had, what they hoped to accomplish in office. There wasn't a single word about the candidate who was raising money. Everything was about the other side. Don't let these people win. Your $15 will keep us from adversity. It was just death. The whole thing reeked of death and anger and division. On the other hand, I travel a, a good bit for my other job, part-time here, part-time at another place, and uh, often I travel on the weekends and I always get really excited when a trip means that I'm gonna be uh, in a hotel room on a Friday night because hotel rooms mean HGTV and Friday nights <laughs> means a marathon of my lottery dream home. <laughs> if you're not familiar with HGTV, it's the, it's the home and garden channel. It's a lot about like home decor and renovations. It's a lot of reality television. Most of it is very ridiculous. It's a lot of people complaining. And they're complaining about the colors of their house as if they couldn't repaint. They're complaining because their 7,500 square foot house, if it was just a little bit bigger. <laughs> but not my lottery dream home. My lottery dream home, as it sounds, is a show about people who have won the lottery and are gonna use that money to buy a home. And there's no complaining in that television show. The family I watched last week was a, a family with a blended family. She has um, three kids who are, you know, mostly in college, but home with them on the weekends. They're there over holidays and over the summer. He has two boys that are there every other weekend. They've won the lottery and their current house is really small. And when they found out that they could afford a house that had two bathrooms for the seven of them to share, they were ecstatic. Grateful, joyful, it's a, it's a show about life. There's no complaining about, I can't possibly cook in a kitchen without granite countertops or a gas range. <laughs> They'd always wanted to host Thanksgiving. They've never had a dining room. They were thrilled. Now they're looking forward to the holidays. That's a show about life. Brian McLaren says, what you pay attention to determines what you miss. What you pay attention to determines what you miss. And when we focus on what we're against, on who we're against, we miss this one wild and precious life that's right in front of us. You know, Moses isn't, 
He's not talking to an individual person in our passage this morning, right? He's talking to, to the communal, to the whole gathered group of the Israelites. There are individual decisions, to be sure. But mostly, he's talking to them about the communal implications of their choices. Choose life, says Moses, so that you and your descendants will live. Don't follow the advice of the wicked. Don't take the path that the sinners tread. Don't sit with scoffers. Delight in the law. Obey the commandments. This is the law that Jesus later says it comes down to two things. Love God. Love your neighbor. Don't miss the sights and sounds, the scenes and reminders of the myriad ways that people around us are choosing to love God, to love neighbor. Moses called God's people thousands of years ago to choose life. Today, there is life all around us in this good place. We, as a gathered communal people, witness a choice for life, a choice for new life each time we welcome a new member into our community or baptize a friend into the followership of the Lord Jesus Christ. We dedicated babies. Just a couple weeks ago, we've had dozens of people join our congregation this year. We celebrated baptism in the spring. We will again this fall. We choose life as we enter into and witness the water of baptism. There are Bible studies happening for all ages and all abilities all over this place, from the first floor to the fourth floor and the floors in between. At Vanderbilt Apartments at Swannanoa Correctional Center, folks are gathering week after week to share the joy and the pain that comes with life, to open the scriptures and to be formed by who God is, how God calls us to live. We choose life as we're shaped by God's word. We eat fried chicken. We chat with people we haven't seen in a while. We laugh as kids run around. We show up every Wednesday night to be fed body and soul because we understand that it is life that the table offers. We're choosing life, not just for ourselves, but for the generations that will come after us when we care for this physical building. This is a space where the word of God is proclaimed, where worship is offered, where the sacraments are taken, where we enter a fellowship of the saints who were and who are and are yet to come. We are choosing life for a body that is not yet when we care for this sacred space. Every afternoon, Members of our church sit downstairs and welcome children and adults into our space, many of whom who wouldn't enter our building for any other reason. But we offer hospitality and welcome because we believe that life is found in the creation of art and music, beauty. And there are moments, for each of us more moments than we would hope for in a lifetime and it's hard to see life, impossible even. When grief threatens to overwhelm, when we lose people we have loved, when long-held dreams shatter. 
the midst of what can feel like death, the community can help hold the choice for life for each of us. It is our communal rhythms that bind us to life when it's too hard to choose it on our own. Water and word and table and body and creation, they call us to life. And so it's, it's these two passages that I, that I almost can't read because they're just too tender. These two men at the end of long, faithful lives. Moses is saying one more time to these people that he's spent a lifetime shepherding, come away from captivity, come away from death. He's begging them, he's pleading with them, be a people who speak life who see life, who choose life. And John the Baptist, at what he surely must know as the end of his life, his head is headed for a platter. The darkness is threatening to overtake him. And he asks a question that I've asked in not nearly so dire straits. I would guess many of you have asked it at some point too. Jesus, are you who you say you are? And you know, Jesus, no straight answer from Jesus, ever. Je Jesus sends his friends back with the instructions to tell John about the life they've heard and seen. Tell, tell John the blind see, says Jesus. Remind John that the deaf hear. Tell him about this life that we've borne witness to. Friends, this is what we have heard and seen. This is the life that is set before us, the life that Moses put before the people that he loves, the life that the Messiah reminded his cousin about, the life that is ours to choose. Friends, we are invited to be a part of a kingdom where the blind see, where the deaf hear, to choose a life where the lame walk and the good news is proclaimed to the poor and the dead are raised to new life. Friends, let's choose that life. Amen.